Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight, and let's get right to it with Welcome to My Mind Mare. Alright, so this week, I've been thinking a lot about games, games in general, uh, but more specifically, crossover games, games that are both a card game and a board game. And what really got me thinking about that is this past weekend, a bunch of friends of mine and I, we got together, we do this little thing we like to call Lefbacon, it happens at the same time as Gen Con. But uh, this year it was a week late, but we got together anyway, we did our thing, and we were playing a game called Arkham Horror. I'm a big fan of Arkham Horror, but it really is kind of a board game slash card game, unlike any other game that you really play. I, I suppose if you want to bring it down, it's kind of like a very large, colossal game of Clue. Um, except you're not looking for a murder weapon, you're looking to kill like an ancient bad guy, for lack of a better word. Um, so I've been thinking about board games, and I play board games, but I'm more of a role-playing game guy, but I've learned as I'm getting older that I'm doing more and more board games, which I guess is, um, I guess it is what it is, but, um, so I, I bring this up because I just ordered a new game, um, it's called Cthulhu Vault, which is in the same genre as Arkham Horror. Not exactly sure what it is. I know it's from Jolly Roger Games, which is a great game company. I've had other stuff from them. But it is a interactive uh, role-playing game is how they kind of describe it. So I, I will report back on this, but that's just kind of what's went on in my mind. I, I ordered it, and I'm looking forward to getting it. And hopefully by next week's podcast, I might have the time to actually sit down and read the rules. If not maybe get a game of play in, so that'll be kind of cool. Um, let's see, what else is on my mind lately? Work. <laughs> work, a lot, a lot of work. I've been working, um, I've been traveling for work, so that always adds to the hours you put in in a week because, you know, it, it's one thing to be on site and doing what you do, but it's another thing that you got to travel there and everything that goes along with that, so it makes for a very long week. Um that being said, this is going to be a very short welcome to my mind, Mayor, because that's about all I've got going on right now in, in, inside my head, because I'm tired, uh, like I said, a long week, so let's jump into this week in history. Um, we are recording today, today is August 19th, 2016, and of course, as always, I get my history information from www.history.com slash this day in history. So if you want to check up on anything I say here or you want to go check out, they, they got so much more than I bring to you, but you can go ahead and do that. But let's go ahead and kick it off with uh, this day in history, August 19th, 1934, Adolf Hitler becomes president of Germany. 
On this day in 1934, Adolf Hitler, already chancellor, is also elected president of Germany in an unprecedented consolidation of power in the short history of the republic. In 1932, German president Paul von Hindenburg, old, tired, and a bit senile, had won re-election as president, but had lost a considerable portion of his right conservative support to the Nazi party. Those close to the president wanted a cozier relationship with Hitler and the Nazis. Hindenburg had contemplated I'm sorry, Hindenburg had contempt for the Nazis' lawlessness, but ultimately agreed to oust his chancellor, Heinrich Brüning, for Franz von Papen, who was willing to appease the Nazis by lifting the ban on Hitler's brown shirts and unilaterally canceling Germany's reparation payments imposed by the Treaty of Versailles at the close of World War I. But Hitler was not appeased. He wanted the chancellorship for himself. Poppin's policies failed on another front. His authoritarian rule alienated his supporters, and he too was forced to resign. He then made common cause with Hitler, persuading President Hindenburg to appoint Hitler Chancellor and himself Vice-Chancellor. He promised the President that he would restrain Hitler's worst tendencies and that a majority of the cabinet would go to non-Nazis. As Hindenburg's current Chancellor could no longer gain a majority in the Reichstag, and Hitler could bring together a larger swath of the masses and a unified right conservative nationalist coalition the president gave in. In January 1933, Hitler was named Chancellor of Germany. But that was not enough for Hitler either. In February 1933, Hitler blamed a devastating Reichstag Reichstag fire on the communists. Its true cause to this day remains a mystery. And convinced President Hindenburg to sign a decree suspending individual and civil liberties. A decree Hitler used to silence his political enemies with false arrests. Upon the death of Hindenburg in 1934, Hitler proceeded to purge the brown shirts, his stormtroopers, the head of which, Ernst Röhm, had begun voicing opposition to the Nazi party's terror tactics. Hitler had Röhm executed without trial, which encouraged the army and other reactionary forces within the country to urge Hitler to further consolidate his power by merging the presidency of the chancellorship. This would make Hitler commander of the army as well. A plebiscite vote was held on August 19th. Intimidation and fear of the communists brought Hitler a 90% majority. He was now, for all intents and purposes, dictator. That's a lot of information in there. But what it boils down to is, and the reason I like history, and specifically World War II history, is we don't want this to happen again. And in order for it to not happen again, we need to make sure that these kind of things are remembered. The way people work their way into a place of power with, um, without any real, you know, any real direct tension against it. He just kind of walked in, said, I want this, I want this, I want this. And Germany was in such a state at the time that they just kind of went, all right, you got it. All right, so let's let's move on. <clears throat> August 17th, 1969. So we're coming forward in history, and we're going to do that this entire week. All three portions get earlier and earlier in history. So on this day in 1969, the grooviest event in music history, the Woodstock Music Festival, draws to a close after three days of peace, love, and rock and roll in upstate New York. <clears throat> Conceived as three days of peace and music, Woodstock was a product of a partnership between John Roberts, 
Joel Roseman, Artie Cornfield, and Michael Lang. The idea was to make enough money from the event to build a recording studio near the Artie New York town of Woodstock. When they couldn't find an appropriate venue in the town itself, the promoters decided to hold the festival on a 600-acre dairy farm in Bethel, New York, some 50 miles from Woodstock, owned by Max Yesker. By the time the weekend of the festival arrived, the group had sold a total of 186,000 tickets and expected no more than 200,000 people to show up. By Friday night, however, thousands of eager early arrivals were pushing against the entrance gate. Fearing they could not control the crowds, the promoters made the decision to open the concert to everyone, free of charge. Close to half a million people attended Woodstock, jamming the roads around Bethel with eight miles of traffic. Soaking, soaked by rain and wallowing in the muddy mess of Yasker's fields, the young fans best described as hippies, euphorically took in the performance of acts like Janis Joplin, Arthur, Arlo Guthrie, Joe Cocker, Joan Baez, Creedence Clearwater Revival, The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Sly and the Family Stone, and Crosby's Nils Stash and Young. The Who performed in the early morning hours of August 17th with Roger Daltrey belting out See Me, Feel Me. From the now classic album Tommy, just as the sun began to rise, the most memorable moment of the concert for many fans was the closing performance by Jimi Hendrix, who gave a rambling, rocking solo guitar performance of the Star Spangled Banner. With not enough bathroom facilities and first aid tents to accommodate such a huge crowd, many described the atmosphere at the festival as chaotic. There were surprisingly few episodes of violence, though one teenager was actually, I'm sorry, there was surprisingly few episodes of violence, though one teenager was accidentally run over and killed by a tractor, and another died from a drug overdose. A number of musicians performed songs expressing their opposition to the Vietnam War, a sentiment that was enthusiastically shared by the vast majority of the audience. Later, the term Woodstock Nation would be used as a general term to describe the youth counterculture counterculture of the 1960s. A 25th anniversary celebration of Woodstock took place in 1994 in Sagrates, New York, known as Woodstock II. The concert featured Bob Dylan and Crosby's Nils, Stills and Nash, as well as newer acts such as Nine Inch Nails and Green Day. Held over another rainy, muddy weekend, the event drew an estimated 300,000 people. So, Woodstock, I- I'm sure... If you're breathing air, you've probably heard of Woodstock at some point in your life. Um, it was, for all intensive purposes, a failed festival, a failed music festival that somehow has caught the minds of the culture of the people that were there, especially, and those people who are big into music now. You talk to somebody about Woodstock and they'll say, yeah, have you, have you heard this done by this artist that, you know, the big one is the Jimi Hendrix Star Spangled Banner. I watched it. I've listened to it. It's 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 amazing. Um, but uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's it's amazing to see how this all turned out. You know, considering the amount of people there, half a million people, and the fact that only two people died there that weekend, and they were only prepared for two hundred thousand people. So they more than well two and a half times what they were expecting. So for that, I. You know, I don't think that's a bad, I mean, it's never good when someone dies, but that's not a bad weekend for them. Um, and, uh, you know, they did make some money off of it. Obviously, they had the pre-sales and they made money off of it. But still, it's just, in all intensive purposes, I would call this truly a failure, but it is what it is.
Next one also, the, the, the last uh, item I have here is also a music thing. Um, August 14th, 1985. Michael Jackson takes control of the Beatles' publishing rights. Um, it was during their collaboration on 1983, Say Say Say, that former Beatle Paul McCartney is said to have advised King of Pop Michael Jackson to invest some of the some of his enormous wealth enormous wealth in music publishing. It was sound financial advice that McCartney might have come to regret giving on this day in 1985 when Michael Jackson purchased the publishing rights to the vast majority of the Beatles catalog for $47 million, outbidding McCartney himself. To understand the sound business reasoning behind Jackson's move to take control of the publishing rights to some 251 Beatles compositions, one must first understand some basic music industry economics. Every time a copyrighted record recording is exploited for commercial purposes, played on the radio, for instance, or used in a movie or television commercial, the party that uses the recording is required to pay a licensing fee. A portion of that fee will be paid to the record label that issued the recording, and the record label, in turn, will pay a portion of its share to the performer. Separately, a portion of the licensing fee is due to the writer of the song in question. Songwriters, even those who are also performers, tend to enter into agreements with professional music publishing companies to manage the collections of their songwriting royalties. In a typical arrangement, a publisher might take 50% of a songwriter's royalties in exchange for handling collections and for actively promoting the commercial use of his songs. John Lennon and Paul McCartney, the Beatles' primary songwriters, did something slightly more complicated. The publishing agreement they signed was with a company of which they were also part owners. That company, called Northern Songs Limited, was formed in 1964 expressly to generate revenues from the growing catalog of Lennon-McCartney compositions. In this way, every sale or other commercial use of the song yesterday earned Lennon and McCartney a songwriting royalty that they split with Northern Songs. And part of Northern Songs' share would then come back to Lennon and McCartney as part owners of the company. In 1969, the British company Associated Television completed a messy and contentious takeover of Northern Songs, which in turn led McCartney and Lennon to pull out of their contract for future compositions and to sell their own shares in the company. More than 15 years later, in 1985, as ATV prepared to sell its entire publishing catalog, Paul McCartney anticipated purchasing it himself, only to be thwarted by Michael Jackson, who was then at the peak of his financial power. In the years following that catalog, now estimated to be worth in excess of $1 billion, allowed Jackson to remain solvent by serving as collateral for several enormous personal loans that funded his extravagant lifestyle through years of low earnings and legal difficulties. In 2008, however, Jackson gave up his remaining interest in the catalog to Sony, one of his primary creditors. Real long story. Um, I find it interesting because I'm a big Beatles fan. Um, I grew up in the era of Michael Jackson, so, I mean, he's got some good music out there. Um... You know, he's got some really bad music out there, too. It just, like any artist, there, there's good and bad. Um, but uh, I just thought it was a neat, interesting little tie-in to another music thing. And, you know, it just, for me, it was fun. So, but enough with that. Um, I've gone awfully long tonight uh, on the uh, history thing. So, let's turn around and get right into our guest here. Uh, my guest tonight is Zave the First. Um, 
is the way he wishes to be known out there in the uh in the world of podcasts. Zave, I have known Zave somewhere around three years now, I think, give or take. Three, four years. Yeah. So um we role play together. Uh we have discussions about just about anything under the sun. And on last week's episode, when I had to guess what Zave was going to talk to me about, you know, I really don't have a clue at this point. I thought it was going to be classic board games. Now, he spent the last week trying to scare the pants off of me about some big conspiracy thing, I think, that he's going to talk about now. But my guess was classic board games. So, why don't we start out? First question, Zave, is am I right? Is it classic board games? Is it classic board games? Not by any shot. Okay. Now the next part is, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners out there and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, I call myself Zave. My actual name is David. But uh, how many Davids do you know and how many Zaves do you know? So uh, easy to find me. I'm Zave the First on Facebook and also on Google+. Um, I have a lot of weird hobbies. Um, an ex-chef, an, H- an ex-HR representative. Um, I have covered uh, about 20 different jobs in my lifetime. Uh, my passion is actually science and sociology. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading up on uh, uh, philosophy, sociology, and physics are my three big passions that I sit around at night and read. Uh, board gaming is a huge outlet for me. I have a collection of about 400 board games in my house. Um, I also have collected, a, oh, 40 or 50 different RPGs that I have all played. Um, we, as a group, have played a ton of games. Um, why I was throwing this at Chad is throwing him for a loop, is he was not real clear whether I was supposed to get all serious on him, or if this was supposed to be lighthearted. So I decided that when, since I'm sure we will cover plenty of board game topics, and we as gamer geeks should be known for more than just what we do as a hobby, I am going to bring a completely off-the-cuff topic because Chad is a very interesting person. All right, Dave. Now I'm really starting to get scared. Hit me with it. What are we talking about? One of the things that I have found over the years of knowing Chad is there are a few things in life that he is more proud of. And one is his offspring. He is very proud of his two daughters. That is true. And both he and his wife, I have pride myself with hanging out with very intellectual people. And both his wife and he are very smart and are worldly wise and uh, keep up to date. So the topic I am bringing to you today, Chad, is... And since none of the rest of them are around, I can say this. How do you, as a adult male who is a father of maturing young ladies, handle the questions in your own mind and brought to you by your children? What is happening to the world? And I mean political, as we obviously see on a day-to-day basis if you pay attention to anything, Especially right now with the elections coming up in November. Absolutely. To the extremes that I read about where there are now scientists, Nobel laureates, who are saying what Chad and I, when we were young, were lied to, now we know that the world is a great place and we have lots of opportunities to develop and make it better. Where certain Nobel laureates are now saying that 
Global warming, no, even if we were able to fix it today, we can't stop it. How do you, as an adult male who has children, proud of your children and looking forward to their future, and I'm sure you'll make a great grandfather, how do you explain this to yourself and to your children when this comes up? Because I'm sure these things are quite prevalent in the news. How do you go about this? Wow. So, okay. All right. So, I let me see if I understand this first. So... How do I explain to my children? Well, let's start, let's take it one step at a time. Let's start with politics. How do I explain politics to my children? Well, not only to your children, but also to yourself. You are a responsible adult for two young ladies coming into the world. There is got to be some you look at the world and go, "Wow, what 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 do they have? How do I help change this?" Of course. Um my political views have Span a spectrum. Now, I'm not an old guy per se. I'm, I'm 40 years old. Uh, and I have voted, uh, let's see, one, two, three, like four presidencies, um, probably seven or eight elections at this point. Um, when I was younger, I was a Democrat. There wasn't a question about it when I was younger because my father was a Democrat. And so I was raised that this is how you vote. This is, you know, this is the way you do it. This is how you do it. Now, the the little side to that is my father was a Reagan Democrat. So he did vote Republican once in his life. Um, I honestly don't know how he's he's voted since then or if he's voted since then, but um so I was I was a very strong Democrat. Um now I can go into a lot of reasons why I think that is. Um I as you know, Dave, I am a pra- practicing Catholic, so I do have a religious background. Um, I was born a ca- born and raised a Catholic. They call us cradle Catholics a lot of the time. But you know, my dad was a union guy, so it was they were they were told you vote Democratic, you vote you know basically they were told who they vote for in each election. Very common practice back yes. then. Yes. So you know, growing up. We were Democrats. My house was a Democrat house, um, things like that. And I, and I slid more and more into the Democratic way. Um, I think because I kind of lost my way from the faith for a while. Because when you look at Catholicism, they are very much a conservative type religion. You know, it's, it's pro-life. It's, uh, you know, it's all those kind of things. Uh, that go with it. And I, and I don't want to get into a, a discussion of religion per se, but then as I got older and I found my way back to the church after my daughters were born, because my wife and I, you know, though we have differing views of religion, she is not a Catholic, I am, we decided that we needed to give the girls a foundation in religious education. Um, and because I was willing to do the footwork, basically, to take them to religious formation classes. They then became Catholic and went through, you know, the the CCD. Um, And as I did that, and the more that I studied the Bible again, I mean, I did it a lot as a child, but studying something like that is very different from when you're a, say, a high schooler to say when you're, you know, 30 years old. Worldview and the, what you can see changes as you grow older. Absolutely. The worldview is completely different. So 
I started to slide more towards a Republican stance on things. Now, I have never picked up the card and said, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or whatever. I've never, you know, I've never been, I've never said I'm this. But I did. I slid very much towards the Republican type uh, uh, candidates. And then Obama came along. And I got caught up in the whole change hype of the 2008 elections. And I was not satisfied with what the Republicans had been giving us with George Bush. Well, you're not exactly one of your preemptive representatives of the Republican Party. Exactly. So, in 2008, I went back and I voted Democrat again. And then, I did not like what came out of the Obama White House. And my view on that has softened by 2016. But in 2012... There was no way. It wouldn't have mattered. They could have put, they could have put Cracky McCrack up against Obama and I would have voted for him. It was just, that's <laughs> where, you know, where I was mentally. So now we come to 2016 and I'm not voting for either side of the aisle. I, I mean, if anybody knows me and they follow me on Facebook, especially, I'm voting libertarian this year and for the first time in my life, I have given money to a political campaign. So oh, you actually are I did. sponsoring Jerry. I did. I have donated Gary, jo- Gary Johnson Jerry, yeah. uh, twice. I've actually given wow. him money. Well, congratulations. So Big step. It, it is. It's it's the closest I've ever come to saying I am this. Now, does he have a chance to win? I think so. Yes. Is it going to take some doing? Yeah. He's got to get on the national stage. He's got to get in front of people. More people. You know, I share, I mean, tons, it's out there everywhere, but main, main, um, the media needs to accept him. Well, and they're starting to, you're starting to hear more and more about him, but he's not quite there. Um, it would be very interesting to not just have the opportunity to vote for an insane person, a, the first, the first woman president possible, and and also to have the opportunity to be, alive during the first time a third party is truly being represented. Right. Yeah. That would that, be, that'd be interesting. Even as a non-Johnson fan, I would have to say that it would be very interesting to see three possible options. Okay. Yeah. And and absolutely. Um, Do you accept the idea that Johnson is nothing, I mean, compared to the representative for the Republican Party, which we won't. We all know who Cheeto Jesus is. Um. <laughs> I love that. I, you know, I heard that from you first, but I have heard that in several places now uh, with with people calling Trump Cheeto Jesus because of his horrible tan. But anyway, go on. Uh, since Cheeto Jesus is that absolutely horrible, horrible representative to anybody, not yeah. just not just the Republican. Well, party. you know, five years ago or six there years ago, there are people in insane asylums that there, there's there. Yes, exactly. That he was sponsoring everybody back yeah. a few years back. He's given money to his opponent. Yes, on more than one occasion. Yeah. And so he's absolutely insane. However, is not Johnson Republican light? He does have a lot of things that are Republican like. I will give you that. Not he, like light. I, I know what you're yeah. saying. I mean, I'm getting there. He was a Republican. When he was governor of um, New Mexico, 
uh, for two terms. He was elected as a Republican. And I feel kind of the same way he does. There's a lot of good things about the Republican Party. There are some good things about the Democratic Party. And what he's done is he's taken a look at this and said, why can't they work together? And when you really look at the way the the country was created, it wasn't meant to be sides of the aisle. The original Congress and the original House of Rep, they sat mixed. There was no divide. You, you know, if you had a Republican from Alabama and you had a Democrat from, uh, I don't know, whatever state, California, since they would be sitting close together. I'm not sure, but I believe at one point, one of the House actually ordered them to be alphabetic. And I believe at one point they actually sat by region of country together. Yeah, most likely. I mean, but there was never, it wasn't until I think the early 60s, late 50s that, that aisle became what it is today. So I think he takes and kind of bat. Now, do I like everything about Johnson? No. Do I like nothing about Trump? You know, there is a point or two that Trump has that if that's all he was running on, I could back him. But he's he's insane. Now, do I hate everything about Hillary? No, absolutely not. She has got some decent ideas. However, she's crooked. And I'm at a point... I'm but at a point in my... But and I'm not... I've never been a Republican or a Democrat. I've always wished and hoped for the... A responsible person to finally run for office. Well, and that would be good. I yeah. mean, it, it, it isn't going to happen in my lifetime. I would have never searched out Gary Johnson if either one of the candidates. Here's my question, and All this right. is, and this is being a former Bernie fan and upset. I liked Bernie too. Yes, and being upset that Bernie has. For whatever reason, and I, I trust that there's a good reason because I try to think of the best in people, mm-hmm. that there's a good reason that he gave up. Age, tired, burned out, saw the truth, who knows? They, they told him in eight years he could run again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the people keep arguing that there's Trump or a lying, cheating individual. Well, it, it goes like this. Here's my, gonna... here's my question. All right. In much as I like Obama, mm-hmm. as much as I've liked Clinton, I am lean definitely more towards the left as my mindset. Yeah, absolutely. But I will admit that every single person I voted for is first a politician before they're actually a human. You have to be. That's just the way politics are now. So when you do the argument, we have insanity or we have a corrupt individual. Mm -hmm. Are we not calling Hillary out for being absolutely like every other politician that we have voted in? And see, that's the one thing I like. That that is one of the huge points that um, Johnson brings forward that makes me... Even that was one of the first things I heard that made me look in his direction, and that's term limits. Oh, absolutely, term I agree limits, with you on term limits. We've talked just, about term yeah, limits. Yeah, we've before. done that before. But I'm just saying, term limits mean there are no career politicians. Well, I shouldn't say that there are no career politicians in a single seat. Seat always right. You could make a career out of it, starting in the city and working your way up through the presidency, I suppose. 
But you have a term limit. That means that if I am a senator in Wisconsin for my term limit, whatever it be, four, four years, six. eight years, 12 years, whatever it is, I cannot then go to Texas and become a senator. Correct. That would be what I would like to see. Yeah. And I mean, that was the first thing that really made me go. But here, here, we'll, here we'll go back to where I was talking about. If we're calling Hillary out mm-hmm. as being the same as every other politician that has ever been out there. They're all have, they're all have lied, cheated, and have been corrupt. Yes. To get into politics. Absolutely. It is not a feel good, nice group of people. Mm-hmm. We're calling Hillary out on this fact. Right. For the reason we're looking for something to bash her about. However, if we continue to bash Hillary, and as much as I do like some of what Johnson says, as much as I did like the idea of Bernie being the Democratic representative, I will not vote write in Bernie for the sheer reason that if we do not get together, if we continue to battle each other over, well, she's corrupt. Well, they're all corrupt. Well, Bernie was, Bernie had backstabbing done against him. Okay, that's, part of politics. Okay, we need to get some new changes, Johnson. If those three parties don't grip together, we're going to end up with Cheeto Jesus in the White House. And because of the sheer fact that we have divided ourselves, and he can get a one-third solid vote. There are enough crazy people in this country who believe he is right enough And I fear, not for me, I'm old, decrepit, disabled, broken. I fear what the seed of a Trump seat will do in 25 years. Because if we accept the Trump, what is the next weird thing? Because if we are willing to step to the point of the oddity of Cheeto Jesus being the representative of the United States, who's next? Who's the next weirder person that we're going to go, well, Trump was okay. We can actually vote in Ronald McDonald. I get what you're saying. And I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase something I said earlier. I said I'm voting libertarian this time. There's caveats to that. Obviously, if he doesn't get on the stage, as much as I would like to see him as president, it's not going to happen. Yes, he's going to be on ballots in all 50 states. But if he's not up on that stage with Hillary and with with Donald, it's not going to happen. In which case, I've got to take a big old crow pill and vote for Hillary. As much as that pains me, as much as I don't like to look at her face or listen to her voice or hear her excuses about the stuff she's done, she is still better than Trump. She's a she's a politician, not insane. Yeah, I, the, the fact that Trump got this, you know, when eight years ago, was it, when he tried the first time and he was in for a short amount of time? And everybody thought, oh, that's kind of funny. I thought it was funny. He is, as one of the late-night commenters said, 
It is amazing when you compare him to a stand-up comedian. I think it was Trevor, uh, Trevor Noah who actually said, you take him and put him in front of an Apollo audience and you cut and paste the way he acts. He talks, walks, says, and repeats himself almost identical to a stand-up comic. Yeah, is is the way he talks, the way he forms sentences, I I agree. Um and then he came into this one and I thought, well that's interesting and he started, you know, with the crazy talk. And everybody's like and at first I'm like this is good because the Republicans always seem to not want to express. And what bringing Trump in did he started making them express. He made them talk and say what they actually meant. However, he didn't go away. You know, everybody was, I was constantly waiting for him to step away and go, no, 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 you know. It and, does surprise me for as, as, as much of a fan as I am, can be of the Republican Party for what they do. And I do want to clarify, I do not believe that one party is better than the other. There are two sides of the same exact coin. They are necessary in both sides. Yes. So when you have the conservative, and I'm using the quote fingers, folks, the conservative side of things, looking at an escaped asylum patient, and they're all backing him. When Ryan says, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and then he got taken into the room and comes out going, Oh, he is so much more than what you see on TV. That scares me. Because if he's only so much more when he's in a private meeting with somebody who he's trying to compress, that is a real estate mogul. That's not a president. I agree. He is not a president. He's a he's a businessman. And for all intents and purposes, a good businessman, as long as he's not trying to run a casino. Because <laughs> he really has problems with casinos, or pay his bills, or pay his bills. Yes, I've, <laughs> I've seen the I've seen the commercials too, and 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 the small vignettes on on news and stuff. But so back to my original bacon. Yeah, how do you? For, I I you did a very good you you I I believe like we have talked before, right? You have done a very good job of explaining to me again and to your listeners your view. You have two young daughters who, in the next few years, are going to be gaining the power to vote. Yes, and how they do you think talk, I'm insane. How they do think you, I'm insane. How do you talk to them about the realities of that Clinton may or may not be good or bad, but she's a standard a standard politician. Trump is a maniac, and. There is this outwing, the Bernies and the Johnsons and the Green Party, that have awesome ideas, but because of the system, most likely will never have more than a little bit of time on the evening news. Right. How do you explain this to your growing children? Well, the first thing you got to realize is when you and I were in high school, I don't know about you, but politics... Didn't mean dick to me. I could care less about politics in high school. My girls are as well versed, if not better versed, in what's going on in the political realm than I am. Now, oh, I think that's because of this, and I'm holding up my smartphone. Absolutely, that's part of it. Now, there's two worlds when you talk about my daughters. There's my oldest daughter, and we can't talk politics. I have tried 
She is very liberal, which is pretty standard amongst young people. You know, they say that you're a liberal until you have a paycheck and then you become a Republican. <laughs> well, I've always been I've always heard the saying that if you're under 30 and a Republican, there's something wrong with you. And if you're over 30 and a Democrat, you're insane. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've kind of heard that throughout my my life. But so anyway, um, I have tried talking with her. And basically, it comes down to she is she's very liberal, which is fine. And I try to let her know that it's fine. Whatever her views are, that's fine. And she doesn't mind talking politics as long as nobody else talks. She she will tell you what she thinks, but especially if you don't agree with her, <laughs> she don't want to hear about it. Set in her ways. Yes, very much so. And which is so. Very, which side of the family does that come from? Uh, her mother. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it, honey. <laughs> and then there's my youngest daughter. Now, my youngest daughter is... How do I say this in case both of them listen to it? My youngest daughter is more uh, introspective on the things she thinks about and talks about versus my older daughter. Which, I mean, doesn't make either of them better or worse. It's just the way that I see that they're different. Now, my youngest one, her and I will sit and talk politics for hours. And we disagree on about 98% of the stuff we talk about. And it's funny because we've talked about things. And she'll say, you know, Dad, I think this because of this. And I'll say, okay, that's great. But as far as I'm concerned, that is a bad thing. Or that doesn't work because of this. And she will hear me out. And I think in this last election cycle, the last year or so, we've really talked politics. Her and I have changed our positions on things both ways. She has told me things, and I've seen things based on her going, you know, Dad, it's like this. And I go, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. And then I go look it up later, and she's right. You know, and I've told her things, and she looks at it, and she goes... Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And we'll, and sometimes we'll sit down, we'll pull out the phones and we'll look at it together. And, you know, and she's changed her position on some things that way. Um, but as far as politics go, they are very much their mother's daughters. Okay. Nick, Nikki, my wife and I agree on nothing when it comes to politics. Now, when we got married, I was very liberal. She was very liberal. My views over the years have changed. Hers have not. Which is fine. We just, a few years ago, we just decided we don't talk politics. Now, that's kind of changed a little bit with Johnson. Because she has the same problem a lot of people in this country have right now. Is you have Cheeto Jesus and Crooked Hillary. And everybody's going, you know. You know, the fact that there are some people out there that are voting for Hillary because she has a vagina blows my mind. I have nothing against having a woman president. Nothing at all. But that would be like me saying, I'm going to go vote for uh, Donald because he's got huge hands. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to vote for her because of her sexual organs. Her sexual organs have nothing to do with what kind of a politician or what kind of a president she would be. 
So that being said, you know, that's how my daughters and I interact about politics. Now, as far as other things, um, let's go to the environment. One of the ones that I, as a, as a complete novice science person, read a lot about, um, and I try to take in the idea that a lot of the media does hype certain things. So I go back and read a lot of the individual papers that are published, and I try to um, keep the idea that some... Even like politicians, there are scientists who are definitely out there for the fame more than the there fact. There are scientists out there that are out there for the fame. There are scientists that are out there just to get paid. Absolutely. So you have to take it in, 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 in serious a look at where you're getting your data, what the data means, and are they exaggerating it to a point just to get that shock and awe factor. Right. Which... And, and I know where you're going with this. You're headed towards global warming. Well, not just or global warming not, in not, a say. We can't we call are, it global warming anymore. It's, it's, uh, uh, change. It's, it's, uh, global, it's environmental change. Ah, that's the new politically well, correct right, version. Because he, warming isn't the only thing going on. Absolutely. Supposedly. I mean, well, there, there's everything. I mean, we are losing not, I mean, and when I say species, I mean everything from bacteria to algae to coral to actual mammals to reptiles. We are losing but, species at a rate that yes. has never happened. However, extinction is a natural part of Absolutely. existing. However, when you look at a biosphere, if you remember in high school when we mm-hmm. learned about terrariums, yep. where you could take a giant ball of glass put dirt in it, plant some seeds, put in a certain amount of water, put a cork in it, and I believe there's one at, I don't remember if it's the Smithsonian or something, it's about the size of a bathtub, and it has been sealed, closed, its own environment with no outside input for over 50 years now. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing idea that when you have a balanced environment, it literally is self-sustaining. Yes, it's the basis for things such as, um, you know, housing on other planets. The moon, Mars. Everything, yes. You know. The, fa- the, the pure fact that it is possible, if you get all of the bugs right, <laughs> right. If it you will have a, sustain itself. Yes, and you don't put anything in there to ruin it. So you've got your water, you've got your dirt, you've got your seeds. That's it. There's no bugs in there. There's no No people. No no people. But here's where I go. You could have an example of a perfect biosphere of a terrarium. And when people say, well, you're talking about all this change, and yes, extinction is natural. The problem is, is that when you take, go back to the picture Carl Sagan gave us of, and the poem he wrote about the picture of the earth from the moon. It is one of the most amazing statements ever that we are a marble floating in a vast black sea. Even people like myself who are true advocates for exoplanets and true ideas that these are could be out there and that no aliens most likely are coming to us, but they most likely are other life forms out there. We don't know this for a fact yet. This is theoretical. Correct. At this point, for humans on Earth, and we theory that there are other, but the chances, the, all the, all the, everything that's out there points towards something. 
there's something out there now. Is it going to look like you and I? It could look for their sake. It, let's it, hope it not. Lo- yes, I mean <laughs> seriously. But it, but if you take that, okay, so that's possible. But we still have never found it. Correct. So technically, even as a science advocate like myself, I look at it and go, we are a little blue ball of a terrarium with a cork on it called an atmosphere that literally what we do inside our terrarium will long-term impact our terrarium's long uh, uh, extinction or thriving. And the evidence right now, we are at 1.35 of a degree raise. Okay. We do not believe we're going to make it to 2020 before we're at 1.5 of a degree. Okay. At 1.5, I'm not going to say all, because there are always the ones that say that everything we talk about is wrong. But when the fact scientists go forward and say, if we reach 1.5 before 2050... The slope is unchangeable. The load on the atmosphere is so high that we cannot bring it back. And that will bring about massive changes. We will have, we will be looking at global maintaining life in a whole different way. Maybe it be for a good, maybe it will be for bad. But we will not not reach that two degree temperature change, which could be catastrophic for the the terrarium called Earth. Right now, let me let me throw a little bit of science at you here, which you probably are aware. Of, but during the so called Dark Ages, mm-hmm. do you know what the average temperature compared to now was? If you actually are going according to the one article that was written about four years ago, there's a guy who did a study of how temperature has rise and fall over periods of time. As has the amount of carbon dioxide. Absolutely. In it's the, all part of a cycle. And the cycle argument is relevant. We know for a fact that the El Nino and the El Nino definitely are a global cycle. The problem is, is that when you are willing to only see the cycle, and you aren't willing to see that the cycle is also at the extreme end that the cycle has ever been at. The farmers, I'm a big fan of the farmer's almanac, grew up on the farm. Literally, this was the household Bible of information. I love the farmer's almanac. It's awesome. (laughs) The farmer's almanac just had a paper written by one of its former authors saying that the Farmer's Almanac is guessing now because they literally cannot understand what is currently happening to the cycles, which you're talking about, are un- are not relevant anymore. Okay. One of the big things... Now, granted, it's not super scientific. The Farmer's Almanac is just... It's never a, been scientific. It's, it's not scientific, but it's... My great-grandmother knew it was going to rain like the hillbillies do, she was right more often than not. So let's look at it just from that. A non-scientific person who we have all trusted in the Midwest forever that this is how much snow we're going to have this year. This is how much. And are they absolutely right? But they're closer than not. Right. And, you know, and, and even when their the- former writers come out and say, we're guessing now because the cycle is so out of whack 
that the farmer's almanac is going, um, I'm scratching my head right now, folks. I don't know what to write because it literally, the cycle is so out of whack. And then I go back to my question to you. How as an adult, do you just justify it saying, oh, it's a cycle, we'll get over it, and I need to live with that because I have children and I need to give that positive outlook? Or does it scare you in the back of your mind and have you ever brought this forward to wife, family, and children? Um, I guess for lack of a better term, I'm kind of a naysayer with the whole global warming thing. I'm not saying that humans as a whole don't affect our terrarium, as you call it. But I think a lot of it is is a natural progression of the cycle of the world. Now, I have also read papers where me saying that might just be a cop-out. Because we're about 10,000 years overdue for the last 10,000 year... Uh, super uh, volcano. Not super volcano, the uh, Ice Age. True. Well, we also are about... We're overdue on a super volcano. Yellowstone's going to go one of these days. Right. We are overdue on a lot of things. But, you know, just in my lifetime, which, again, like I said, is not not that super long. I remember seeing pictures of my mother as a kid in the... You know, and we're in central Wisconsin. So we're known for our snow. Mm-hmm. I've seen pictures of my mother and her siblings up on top of a snowbank in their yard that if they wanted to, they could have reached up and grabbed the power cords. When I was in grade school, I was raised in, in, in northern Wisconsin, a little teeny bird called St. Germain. When I was in grade school, we actually had Beware of the Power Line class, where when the snow was piled up on the side of the road, the side of the road, just from piling mm-hmm. it up, we were told that not to climb the things because at some point the stacks would get high enough that you could accidentally walk into the power lines. Now, now, I love driving around, and my wife is from a place called, uh, a not-so-wonderful place called Illinois, and, <laughs> sorry folks if you live there, but I lived there for six and a half years, and uh, you guys have trees that are called corn, and it's really weird. But now, I've taken now, my wife driving day. all over. This doesn't happen anymore. Right, and that's what I'm getting at. Now, just so the people out there realize, Dave is about six years older than me, so he's not... I'm not ancient. He's not ancient. I look it, but I don't. I'm not actually ancient. Now, when I was a kid, I remember a lot of snow. You know, I remember maybe not up to the power lines, but of course, now another another trick of that picture is power lines were a lot lower when my mother was a child as to where they are today. Absolutely. But I mean, we had big snow piles. You had snow piles, you played King of the Mountain on it. You could you could sled down them when you couldn't get to the actual sledding hill. Absolutely. You know, and now the last couple of years we've had a decent amount of snow, but nowhere near what but we saw even when I was a kid. Co- even when I talked to John, who's even older than both of us, right. and we call it, well, last year was a decent winter. We both go, yeah, but it isn't what we had 20 years ago. No, I remember when I was a kid, my dad would go deer hunting. There was always snow in the middle of November for the deer hunters, which helps because then you can track deer. And if you know anything about hunting, snow on the ground when you're deer hunting is a whole lot better than no snow on the ground on the when you're deer hunting. Well, snow makes it a whole lot less important to go to the target range and know how to do it in one shot. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> but what, you know, it's... So, 
you know, and, and as, as I get older, my views on that have changed too, because I'm more likely now to use the high density or whatever they call them, the light bulbs that don't use as much energy. Oh, yeah. The inc- non-incandescent. Yeah. The, you know, the, 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 the coily ones. Yes. The fluorescent. The fluorescent ones. I'm much more likely to do things that, you know, I'm much more likely, I recycle now. 20 years ago, pfft, I would have never recycled. I mean, it was out there, but. Well, in some ways we did back then. Nowadays we, I mean, I grew up on a farm. When I got a jar of beans out, it was because we canned the beans. We took the mason jar, washed it out, and put it back on the shelf. Right. And then next year, next we used year it again. so there was recycling to a point. I right. mean, I am a farm kid, and where did I go yesterday? I went to our local grocery store and I bought cans of beans. So yeah, I do have a responsibility to recycle those cans because they're not the glass jar that I'm using over and over anymore. Right. And but now let's look at it from a different standpoint. Now, growing up, I did not live on a farm, but I had aunts and uncles who were farmers. And every summer I went with a neighbor kid, his grandparents ran a farm. And I would go up there. Now I don't know if they did this on your farm. But they would save all the old tires and all the old wood and stuff. And then in the fall or in the middle of summer, you'd have this huge bonfire. Well, the tires technically aren't supposed to go in there. But they do. But but again, when we look, when I talk to my dad and my grandfather when, when he was alive, and we talk about that, this was not because they went and someone told them not to do it. Nobody told them that it was a bad idea. Right. Exactly. It was the same reason why Wisconsin, until I think it was in the 60s, we still used DDT. Right. Because no one told them, well, you don't want to use DDT. Because We're, it causes birth defects. We, we, we kill everything with it. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so there is a bit of, you know, I was raised by a set of parents who were stuck in the old ways. My mother was not a farm girl, but she grew up in the country. My dad grew up in the city, but his, the way he looked at things was very city-like. You know, my mother was very country. You know, uh, my dad grew up when, when my parents got married and my mother cooked him dinner. That was something special because my grandmother did not cook. My grandmother cooked once a year and that was Christmas. The rest of the year they did whatever, you know. So, it's, it has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, and, and as far as how I explain things to my daughters, we sit down and we look at facts. Both of my daughters are, and you know this, they are extremely intelligent. Oh, yes. They are, where they get the, I mean, obviously their mother gave them some smarts, but where they get the rest of them, luck, the lottery, I don't know, because I'm not a stupid person, but I'm not a genius by, any stretch of the imagination, you know. So, I mean, we'll sit down, we'll look at things, and we'll say, okay, does this make sense? Does this make sense? And then, you know, I go grab an article from 20 years ago, and I go look at this, and they're like, that's all been disproven, Dad. And I'm like, where? And they're like, here. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, I hate so, it when they change my facts. <laughs> so, and you know, and that's 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 one of my biggest hurdles to get over is... I was raised in a way and things were ingrained in me in such a way that this is how they were and this is how it's always going to be. And believe it or not, I'm not a big one for change. I don't like to change the way the things I do. I wear the same clothes I wore in 1983. I wear jeans and a t-shirt 
I, when I go to work, I wear a polo, but most of the time I just have a shirt on over a t-shirt. You know, it hasn't changed. He's very stylish, by the way. I am the stylish guy I know. Most stylish guy I know. But anyway, so that's how we do that. Um, Does it scare you as the parent? I, for one, have chose not to breed, folks. I, my wife and I made the decision. That's a good I decision. Have some med- I have some medical issues that I wouldn't want to give anybody. And my wife is the same exact problem. So we kind of, this is not a path that we want to go down. So we don't, our conversations don't include younglings. Okay. How do you go through your day with the idea that what if, what if I'm right? What if the science that I follow is the path that we find out in the next 10 to 15 years? And what if I'm right? If you're right? All right. So I I almost have to preface this with the fact that I am a practicing Catholic. Mm -hmm. If you are right, it's part of the plan. Humans are just... Does not the Bible, though, state that we are supposed to be the steward of this place. Yes, it also states that the time of man will come to an end and none of us know the time nor the place, nor the events surrounding it. Okay, so could then we could say that from a biblical your that, that we accept it because it's meant to be? Do we not fight it? Of course we fight it. Okay. And and that's where I'm saying I though I dislike change i have changed a lot and you know and my girls are a big catalyst for that if i didn't have offspring i would probably be a lot like john and nobody out there knows who i'm talking about but he's our friendly curmudgeon yes (laughs) the way it is my wife always tells me or I, i used to say in five years i'll be out on the porch going you damn kids get off my lawn she said five years so but you know there's, there's, to me, there is more to this theory than just the fact that a bunch of great apes, which is what we are. Damn hairless apes. Exactly. Well, some of us are. <laughs> some of them, and I'm pointing at Dave now, are hairier than the rest of us. Hey, because I can grow a nice beard, I, one should always grow a nice beard. There you go. But there is more... At stake on what's going on. I mean, let's be realistic. The Earth is at almost 7 billion people. It's not made to support. There was a sad article that I just read the other day. Somebody did the math. I don't remember what school it was. And if your fans want it, I will find it and send it to you. Um, That they explained how many Earths the Earth would need. And then they broke it down to lifestyle per country from Australia to... And guess what, folks? If you're listening from America, we're not the worst. Technically, Australia needs four more Australias to continue their lifestyle to sustain it with the resources that are in Australia. America is still the second worst, but Australia is actually the worst right now. But, you know, so there's a lot of external things um, that go into this. Uh, you know, I always look at it this way. Um the Earth, Mother Earth, if we become too much of a burden for her... She's going to burp and we're all going to go away. Exactly. She's going to take care of the problem. We are just like any other creature. We are destined to go away at some time. I truly believe that. 
Now, is it going to be in the next 15, 20 years? Oh, I'm not, I even, I'm not calling that. I'm just saying I feel bad. I, I have nieces and nephews that are in the single digits yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I had not one, but two sets of grandparents that lived into the hundred. Mm-hmm. I had one that made it to 105 and the other ones made it to 103. So one of them was born in January 1st of 1901. Okay. So you listening to the stories of lifestyle changes from that thing. Just just in our and, lifetime. But then that's exactly what I'm saying. To know that my great-grandmother went from horse-drawn carriage to literally sitting in her TV, and except for our friend Lenny, believing that we watched people walk on another body in space, he... And she saw all of this mm-hmm. to literally spaceships that went into space and then came back down, landed, picked things up, and then went back into space. Right. Amazing stuff. In my lifetime, we've seen that plus. Oh, yeah. Now, the big one, the what's big the one, cost to this, though? There's a cost to everything. Yeah. And the big one for my life is the telephone. Oh, when we're you Star Trek. Are, I know. When you and I were born, it was a landline. I now, had four, if, four, folks, I had four digit phone number. Okay. When I was in grade school, I lived in such a rural area, I had a four digit phone number when I was in grade school. Well, St. Germain, for anybody that knows Wisconsin at all, is what we call up north. We're, we're hicks. We're not rednecks. We're hicks. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's up north. It's, God, what, two hours from where we're sitting right mm-hmm. now or so? It's, it's a cute just, little, and, and it's it, woods. That's it's all. It's woods. <laughs> it's woods, and all of it, almost everything that's done north of where we're sitting right now, Wassa, is um, summer. You know, they've got it's it's campgrounds, it's uh, uh, lakes and rivers and that kind of stuff. And then there's there's those weird people in the winter that get on snowmobiles and drive around in the cold. I like to get in my car that's got sides around it and a roof on it and keeps the heat in but you know <laughs> and air conditioning in the summertime air conditioning in the summertime <laughs> there but there are those that you know really like that kind of lifestyle and and that's great i mean if it wasn't for those people there wouldn't be the place to go play in the summer you know it'd just be it would be woods up there woods bears and deers <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um I want to. I want to start. I, I. I know we could probably talk longer here, but we are uh, pushing over that hour mark already. So I want to thank you for coming out, Dave. This was awesome. I um, hope my questions weren't too serious. No, actually, I did bait him with lasagna today. He did. I have a pan <laughs> of lasagna to eat tomorrow. Um, my wife and kids. Um, I'm sorry I didn't share with you, but um, <laughs> there was enough for four. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here quickly. So, again, as I've asked in the last couple episodes, please send in your email. Um, today is August 19th, 2016. Episode 1. This is episode 4. Episode 1 actually dropped today. Um, so, if you are just tuning in today for the first time, I'm going to steal a line from my buddies over at Gaming and BS, that podcast. Go back, start at episode 1, work your way forward, because it's the most fun that way. Um, and the ones before this are a little more lighthearted than this one was. That's why I did it today. Now, and that's now fine. you can go back to the lighthearted. That's fine. That's fine. I actually, I prefer the, these type of discussions, but I will take whatever I can get. 
Um, so anyway, send me your emails. Tell us, tell me what you think of this. Tell me which guests you'd like to see back again. Tell me which guests you never want to listen to again. And, and when he's referencing me, please do use kind words. <laughs> yes, right. Well, I, I would hope that anybody listening would use kind words. Even if you dislike what we're doing, tell us in a nice way. We like constructive criticism, not assholes. So uh, go ahead, send your emails to whosepodcastisit at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, in the uh, show notes under here um, on Podbean for sure, and a few of the other places where this pops up, you can leave comments and uh, we will see those as well. Um, so, yeah. So, anyway, that's that's on that. Um, next week, I'm going to have my first return guest, Al Seeger, who is my engineer and my the guy who's putting this out for me and all that. He's the guy behind. He's the guy behind the guy who does this podcast. I think I got that right. So, anyway. <laughs> Let's end up with our, our thought for the day, our quote for the day. And Dave, this is where you get to play along. Ah, uh, yes. I'm going to give you the quote. You're going to tell me who you think said the quote. All right. You can put wings on a pig, but you don't make it an eagle. Now, there's a reason I picked this quote. Well, actually, there's a reason I picked the person that I found the quote from. Any guesses? Actually, I think I've actually heard the quote before, so I will be kicking myself for saying it, but no, I don't actually have a guess. All right. I'm going to tell you who it is by wishing our former president, William J. Clinton, President Bill Clinton, happy 70th birthday. Yay! Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. (laughs)